this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from Season 3, Episode 50, our discussion with representatives of the patient and patient advocacy communities, plus from the vault, my interview earlier in the year with biohacker par excellence and best-selling author, Dr. Marcus Rani. This conversation starts with a question from Louise Campbell. When planning drug trials, to what degree do biopharma companies focus on the eventual needs of the patient? Our three advocates, Robert Mitchell Thane from the PPC Foundation, Liver Patients International, and other organizations, Wayne Eskridge from the Fatty Liver Foundation, and Mike Patel from the Fatty Liver Alliance, express significantly different perspectives. Robert starts by answering a different question. Do companies get it? His answer, put more colorfully, is that some do and others don't. Mike relies on his background in pharmaceuticals to say that the patient journey matters tremendously, but not in the earliest stages of drug development. Wayne's answer is similar to Mike's, but with greater focus on the idea that interest in patient needs is driven from marketing, not clinical development. And he also notes that patient sensitivity has gotten a lot better over the last couple of years. On follow-up, three advocates discuss more specifically what they expect pharma to focus on. Reimbursement and market share for Mike, that plus finance for Wayne, and listening to patient needs and acting accordingly for Robert. As the conversation winds down, I ask the group a question about digital therapeutics as a pharma-supported patient wellness tool. As they answer at the end of this conversation and the beginning of the next one, it becomes clear this is not a topic they've considered in much depth. Patient advocates are, by their nature, disruptors and change agents, so it's not surprising that this conversation moves so fast and includes so many bold statements and shifts in direction. Listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Louise Campbell. I listen and I attend these ad boards and I look at what drug companies provide. And I listen to people like Jose and Roberts and everybody. And it's like, do the companies, when they set up trials, actually start with the right premise to address the needs of patients? Or is it something that you feel is gets adapted as we get towards delivery of those drugs and going to market? Is it something that's thought of pre, I suppose, during or late in the game? Robert Mitchell Thane. Can I come in? Are you, so you've answered question A and I'm going to answer question B. So my litmus test in working with industry is do they get it? And that's an easy question to ask and a difficult question to answer. And it, it's a complicated myriad of processes that come to the answer. Do they get it? And you definitely know that there's some who do and some who don't. And just in the way that Michael Wayne and I have slightly different views on particular topics, you will see different views within industry partners and the people involved in that. And I think there are some examples of wonderful patient centricity where people are thinking, we see an unmet need here. How do we positively impact patients' quality of life? But then for every one of those, you also get those that are in industry who very much feel that if you cure a patient, you lose a customer. And so it's a complicated and nuanced field. And I think it's really difficult to answer in one way all the industry partners because there are some wonderful examples of patients' interests out there. And it's just up to us as advocates to, to harness those types of people and make sure we you know work with them as closely as possible to find solutions. Mike Bottel. So, Louisa, so I have a unique perspective because I had 25 years in pharma first and now I'm on the nonprofit side too. So I do think that patients are considered, I don't think they're considered too much in the early stages 
issues when drugs are trying to get approved because they're focused a lot on results. But the patient journey discussion comes up a lot when you're planning things that you're going to need to make sure that the, the marketing side, like when you get later um, and you're trying to bring something to market and to understand how, how patients think and what their needs are. Patient compliance is really important, obviously, because, you know, Robert was talking about, you know, whether patients are going to stay on therapy or not. Not so much. I don't think the drug companies want patients to stay on therapy, not from my experience. It's more about really understanding what roadblocks are in the way so that the drug companies can take those away and make it easier for patients to get to get onto the drugs and to have success with them. So I think that's the point I wanted to make. Wayne Eskridge. I think it really is a continuum because they have to think about the biology first, the method of action and the targets. Uh, They'll start to think about how that might affect a patient later on. But when we begin to have conversations with drug companies, there's a lot of discussion about what patients think and feel as we get later in the game. But there's very much of a marketing focus, a fair number of the companies in terms of, uh, well, what does it take to get patients to request this? How do we get market penetration? How do we get patients to talk about this? Because we know that the patients that ask for a drug usually frequently get it once it's on the market. So a fair amount of thought goes into that and and they do certainly talk to us about side effects and our responses and things like that. And that's getting better. But I think that historically there was it was not as much emphasis on how the patient felt about it. But it's become it's become a lot better in the last couple of years. I have to say that. Thanks, Wally. I have a follow-up question to all of you, which is really a follow-up question to Robert's original comment, but I'd love everyone's responses. I spent, as you know, most of my career working in pharmaceuticals. A consultant friend of mine used to say that most of the people he worked with saw patients as drug receptacles. And I thought that was a little hard, but not necessarily false. The way that translated, though, wasn't necessarily that people wanted to keep people sick. It it's that they wanted to make sure that the drugs got taken. So, Robert, I want to go back to your comment, which is I've seen a lot of marketers over time who simply saw patients in the context of medications, but I'm not sure I've seen a lot who were more focused on the permanent or perpetual use of medications than they were simply on getting medications used and prescribed. I think you said the former, not the latter. So I'm wondering where you see the distinction between the two, if there is a distinction. And then I'd love everybody else's comment on that as well. It's a great question. In all honesty, I'm still not... 100% comfortable with industry and NAFLD as it is. I think NASH is a different thing. So, Louise aside, we all have personal lived experience of NAFLD and we've all improved our own situation without any medical intervention. And so, there is a way of tackling this. And I, I think that the industry has a part to play, but I still don't know really what that part is to play. Because when you look at the successes of interventional lifestyle changes, when you look at the successes of peer support, when you look at the successes of change management and all of those kind of things, then again, it's a, it's a really complicated and nuanced arena. In terms of how do you classify that difference, I'm not entirely sure. It goes on feeling. Everything I do, I listen first, always to patients. And then when I'm going and building my relationships, my, my first responsibility is to listen to the other person, see where they are, 
are and how they are. And then that guides my decisions. So it's not a blanket judgment. It's very much about listening to who's in the arena, why they're in the arena, and what they're trying to achieve in the arena. So I feel that that's a way of not answering the question, but it, it just gives you a way of an insight into my process, if that makes sense. Uh, other thoughts on that? Now I, have a, I do have a follow-up question. Robert, I do believe that every patient is unique and is going to require tailored therapy. So one solution for sure is not going to work for every patient. When when we're going back to what the pharmaceutical companies want, they for sure want reimbursement. In every different countries, it's going to mean different things. And then they're going to want adherence and compliance. Those are the things that they want because if the right patients are taking the drugs and they're staying on therapy and they're getting cured, it's better for them because they have more success. So I just I really wanted to point out the fact that every patient is different. It's going to require different approaches. But we also know that the job of the people who run the drug companies, given their desire to see patients be well, is to make money. And so the profile as to how this fits in the community and how the the payments are made and, and how long they take and how the pricing gets done, that gets pretty cold-blooded, really. It has to, as a matter of fact. From the business side, you can be sympathetic to us as patients, but having run businesses myself, you know, you <laughs> you really do have to figure out how to heck you get to the next payday. And these people all face that. So there's this struggle between the social values that these people have and the responsibilities to make these systems work that aren't always pulling in the same direction. So I appreciate it as a very complex problem of drug development and delivery. So we're already way off script and we're only like five minutes into this, but that's the great thing about bringing uh, people who are disruptors and is that disruptors disrupt is what you all do, which is good. Question to the group. I look at the phenomenon of digital therapeutics and I see some pharmacos stepping into it to sponsor in a big way and others, let's just say, far more reticent. And what I find interesting about that is that the economics and the ability to make money in digital therapeutics will be different than in drugs, but the ability to support patients that way will be real. So I'm wondering what you're experiencing in talking to pharmacos, and by the way, also talking to medical KOLs, because medical KOLs are also all over the map on this, on the issue of digital therapeutics, and not only what are people saying, but where do you think those impulses are coming from? And what does that tell us about where we have support and, and where we have partnership? I go way back in this, in the 80s and 90s, I was actually writing code to try to support doctors and diagnosis of disease, and we actually tried to build a product at that time. And the doctors had very little interest in that kind of help. And so I think that we have, you know, a reticence on the part of many physicians about having digital tools invade their space. And then there's another group of them that are quite uh, interested in having that happen. We're in transition. We're going to see a lot of digital support as we get smarter about it. It is uh, an absolute necessity to be able to deliver precision medicine medicine to people that way we have been promising. I'm not sure that answered your question. So, Roger, the digital side, does that include EMR? Uh, not as I envision it, but yes. Okay. I, what I was talking about really was literally digital therapeutics, that there are companies right now who are going through the approval process for software and tracking mechanisms that will be approved as if they were drugs, as, as full, full-fledged therapeutic devices. And that's really where my question was uh, focused. It'll be like Wayne a little bit. I'm not sure if this is going to answer your question either, but if using the digital interventions, let's say, can help track and identify patients that wouldn't have been identified, that's through AI type of technology too, then I think it's really worthwhile to do that. And now, back to Roger. 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our first look at next month's The Liver Meeting, the annual AASLD conference. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we look forward to seeing you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.